for those of you who, who may or may not know, we are working through the book of Galatians. And we're finally on the home stretch. We're finally on chapter 6 this Sunday. I hope you all have enjoyed Galatians as much as I have. The, the reason I said that is, you know, I, I, I say that I love worship all the time, but I also love getting into scriptures and, and learning about uh, the, the word. And you know, this morning, for me, worship was great because we get to be in the presence of God. We get to hear from God. Uh, however, it should be just as amazing when we go through scriptures, when we learn about who God is. Not more, not less, just as amazing. Uh, it's important for all of us as followers of Jesus to seek his presence and, and to know scripture. It should be the same. Otherwise, if we only focus on the Bible without understanding how to be in the presence of God or, or being comfortable in terms of being the presence of God and hearing from him and communicating to him, it would be very dry. Right? It would be a, a very strong legalistic setting, very dry and result in legalism and religion. Uh, an example that I always refer to a lot is from John chapter 5, verse 39, when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees when he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So that's a danger if we study and, and, and spend so much time in the Word and, and get uncomfortable when we're around his presence, are we in his presence? Because Christianity is not a religion, right? A lot of people refer to it as a religion, but it's not. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. So we need to know be comfortable in his presence and to know scripture. So on the other hand, if we're focusing on just being in the presence of God and don't spend time digging in scriptures, we will get a little bit loopy. Can I use that term? I think we'll get a little bit loopy. We're, we're going to lose touch with reality or, or most importantly, we will forget about the commission and the mandate that Jesus had given to us, which is share the gospel, make disciples. And how can we make disciples if we don't know scriptures? right? Hopefully, hopefully this is uh, common knowledge for everybody. So, and if we don't have a good understanding of scriptures, we just focus on being in the presence of God. We, we will not have a strong foundation to stand on. We will change with the time. We will go back and forth with what's going on in, 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 uh, with our culture that we live in, and we will be persuaded by fancy arguments. So, that's a danger. So, it's extremely important for us to have both. Enjoy both. We need to enjoy spending time in Scripture and be in His presence in order to call ourselves followers of Jesus. I trust it's something that we already know and it's something that we talked a lot all the time, but it's uh, important for us to be reminded of that fact. Being the presence of God and enjoy Scripture and have some knowledge of the Bible. So let's um, open our Bible to Galatians chapter 6, whether you have a mobile app Oh, Bible, that's fine. Just because you don't have an actual Bible with you doesn't mean that you are less holy. I use my mobile app a lot more often than my actual Bible because uh, I always have my phone with me. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't always have my Bible with me. So, uh, so don't feel like you're less holy because you're using a mobile app. I'm going to be using the NIV version just so you know. Feel free to use whatever version that you have as long as you're reading one. So before we get into chapter 6, I want to do a quick recap of uh, the first five chapters in Galatians were addressing to the people in the early church about the freedom in Christ that we have. 
that we enjoy, freedom from the Mosaic law. Right? However, Galatians is also very applicable to now, to the current season, the current time that we live in, because it could very easily for us to fall back into the state of legalism or religious, whether it's through our society or whether it's through our culture or our traditions or our families, these expectations and the peer pressure that people put on us, whether it's through our bosses and what have you. And those, those expectations and pressure will only lead to controlling, right? They are meant to control people. They're meant to get people to do something uh, through manipulation. And, and when you have controlling and manipulation, they usually lead to pride in, in ourselves or our self-righteousness. So Jesus has set us free from all those things, that we don't have to live under the pressure of society, of our boss, our families, our traditions, and, and our neighbors, and what have you. So we are to live in the freedom of Jesus that has given us. We don't have to worry about how our Instagram pages doesn't have all the happy, go lucky, fun pictures of us enjoying life. That's not always true, right? Can I say that? Is that okay? I hope I'm not offending some, some people. We don't have to have a certain uh, lifestyle. We don't have to have a cabin on the lake. We don't uh, have to have... We don't have to eat a certain food or always know the latest trend. It doesn't matter anymore. We don't have to know all those things because of Jesus. So if I can sum up the first five chapters of Galatians, it's, it's to say that the Mosaic law is no longer necessary because of Jesus for the early church. But for us, it's the same thing. It's like we don't have to keep up with the trends. We don't have to keep up with fashion. We don't have to be under the expectation that I have to act a certain way because I'm a pastor. I have to act a certain way, right? I have to look a certain way. Or my kids have to stand up during worship to make sure that they're holy. No. They can do whatever they want. I just want them to have a relationship with Jesus. If I was their age, I'd probably want to know more about Star Wars and Marvel also. And it's okay. As they grow, we want them to step into that place and grow in their own personal relationship with Jesus. So it applied back then, but it's also a very applicable to the present. So chapter 6 is the last chapter for Galatians. Um, it's about how we should live. As Jesus has set us free, we are now in the kingdom of God. We are now sons and daughters of the king in the kingdom of God. And the illustration, so, so chapter 6 is about helping us with the etiquette as sons and daughters. And the illustration, the, the best one I can think of is, as you can see, I'm Asian, so I grew up in Vietnam. We, uh, we, I, when I was uh, younger, how we eat, we use we chopsticks, right? So when I came to the U.S. when I was 13, it's all forks and knives. Like, what are these things? So when you sit down at the table, you see a fork and a knife. It's like, well, where are my chopsticks? So, so chapter 6 is similar to that, right? Because now um, Galatians was talking about all the things that we, uh, we no longer use chopsticks. Now... This is how you use the utensils to eat from the standpoint that chapter 6 is about how we are to live. It's about the law of Christ. Uh, so let's go through that together. So try to keep that illustration in mind in terms of what Paul is trying to say in chapter 6. Thank you, Pam. Someone laughed at my jokes. It's a success. Okay, chapter 6. Uh, I think I should have it on the slides behind me. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves. Or you, sh or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, 
you will fulfill the law of Christ. Firstly, please don't be surprised when you know someone is caught in a sin. It happens. Right? It happens to the best of us because we are in the middle of the battle. You know that, right? We believe in God and the devil exists. And the devil, even though we know that we're going to win from the, Revel- the book of Revelation, the devil is going to drag this out as long as he can. He's going to fight until the last second. We know this from First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. The devil, the enemy, is like what? The roaring lion trying to devour us constantly. So when someone falls into sin, don't be surprised. It's okay. It happens. I look at it like it sounds harsh, but it's a casualty of war. It's going to happen. What we are to do is to gently, right? Galatians is saying, gently restore that person in the spirit. So restore means to make it as it was before. As saying someone had a great relationship with Jesus and they went away, we're to gently restore that person, to bring that person back to a place where their relationship with Jesus was strong and powerful and amazing and impactful. And the way to do that is to gently. Gently means to make sure that we have grace and patience for that person. Understanding, kindness, gentleness, right? Gently restore it in a way that we can make sure we can save his or her dignity. The main thing is try to do it in a way that's gentle. That's what it means is to not have a public humiliation or public embarrassment because as eventually when they come back to where they, where they were restored, we want them to be able to function and operate powerfully and mightily as they were before. But if they had to suffer through some public humiliation and embarrassment, it's difficult to overcome that. And that's what it means to gently restore someone. And how do we know what to do regarding restoring that person? And that verse said, you who live by the Spirit. You who live by the Spirit. That's how we know is to hear from the Holy Spirit in terms of how to restore someone. Because I don't think any of us know what to do in all situations, right? Is it okay for me to say that? I don't think we all know what to do in all situations. There are many complex situations regarding someone who's been caught in a sin, whether it's alcohol, um, sexual immorality, relational, uh, drugs, addiction, fraud, crime, lies, what have you. If we haven't encountered a situation, we don't know how to handle it. But if you, you, us, who live by the Spirit, if we listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will speak to us and give us an insight and wisdom in terms of how to restore someone. It can be, right, we know the fruit of the Spirit, what love, joy, peace, rest, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, patience. So by the Spirit, we'll know, oh, in this particular case, we just need to listen. In this particular case, we just need to love on that person. In this particular case, to restore that person is to maybe rebuke them or maybe to challenge them. So that's, that's what we need to listen to because in our, on our own, there are many things that we don't know. But when we try to hear from God, he will lead us and show us how, the how to restore our fellow brothers and sisters. And they, uh, those, those verses went on to say, however, don't be tempted in the process of restoring our fellow Christians. So when I said earlier about, don't be surprised when someone's caught in a sin, sadly, I also seen someone's being tempted just from trying to restore someone. The thing that I try to tell people, and I try to tell myself a lot is, 
who is influencing who. So it's using an example of someone's falling away from uh, a relationship with Jesus. They would, let's say, go to the bar every night, you know, drinking, having fun, so to speak. So as I try to go restore them, I end up hanging out at the bars every night, drinking. Next thing you know, I was like, oh, I kind of like this. This is kind of fun. My kids and my wife, they can just take care of themselves. I'll just go out for a little bit. Next thing, first thing is 11 o'clock, 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning. So that's what it means to be tempted. So a lot of times people use the excuse, of, well, I'm doing this so I can go and evangelize and, and disciple people, which is great. But remember, who is influencing who? When we can answer that question, we will know if we're being tempted or not in terms of the situation that we're involving ourselves in. And also carry each other's burdens. What, what the verse is trying to say is not because suddenly someone's calling the sin, suddenly you have to do everything for them. No, think of it like a team player. You guys, you guys I love team sports. You guys play on the team? Maybe a, a group, a setting, something? So I love team sports. I play soccer. I think some of those, you guys may know that. So usually what happens is it's always going to have someone that has a bad game, a bad day, if I can say that. So I... Um, an illustration that I, I can think of from the standpoint of to help carry each other's burdens is, uh, let's say I, I usually play midfield, right? And we usually have four defenders behind me for those who don't play soccer. If one of the defenders is caught in the sin or having a bad game or having a bad day, I would tell the other defenders, hey, try to pick up the slack for him until he resumes his normal operation, so to speak. Or I myself we take on more responsibility. So we all kind of chip in to help that person along. It doesn't mean that suddenly you can just step aside, take a break. We'll pick up your burden for you. It's to help carry each other's burden, to encourage them. And the idea is to restore that person back to where they were before. And that's what the verse is trying to say. I don't, I don't know if that verse makes a lot of sense to people, but it's, it's, it's not like you have to take on someone else's burden. Help them. Walk them. Gently lead them. So then they can be restored back to where they were before. So, because something, the, the thing that is, um, if we carry and take on their burdens, I know I'm kind of going over this over and over again, is we, can't, we have our own burdens that we have to carry. Right? Is it okay for me to say that? I think we all have something that we have to carry. So if we take on someone else's burden, we're not able to carry our burden. For example, for my burdens, that's not a burden. A privilege is, is as a husband, as a father, you're someone who leads restoration. But if I take on someone else's burden, my responsibilities will suffer. So I can just try to help bring that person along. We are together on a team to bring that person along. So hopefully that makes sense to you guys. Um, all right, so it goes on, verse 3 and 4 and 5 goes on to say, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions and they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So going back to our burden. If we take on someone else's burden, our load will suffer, so to speak. But the main thing is, don't be prideful or arrogant when you see someone caught in a sin. Because I think human nature is for us to say, oh, that person, that person, he or she is weak. They got tempted. But for us, don't let that become, um, cause us to have more pride in who we are. 
Don't think that we're more spiritual because we're able to resist any temptation. Don't, or, or don't think that someone else is more spiritual than us. The main point is don't compare. Don't compare. If we think we're better than someone, just put us in a self-righteous mode, right? Thinking that we're so much more spiritual, we can resist whatever temptation or whatever st- uh, struggles and difficulties the other, someone else may have. But on the flip side, if we think, well, someone is so much spiritual than me, so they will have no problem handling the situation I'm in, that's not okay either. We should just test our own actions. Don't compare with others. Test our own actions. Some of the things that I usually do and I would encourage all of us to do is ask ourselves these questions. How is my own prayer life? How is my relationship with Jesus? Do I know Jesus more now than I did last year? Do I have a stronger relationship with Jesus now than I did two years ago? Is my prayer life stronger now? Am I relying more on Jesus now than before? Am I more secure, more confident in my status as sons and daughters, the king of the king of kings, my sons and daughters of our heavenly father than just a month ago or a year ago? Am I progressing? Am I growing? Am I walking in step with the Holy Spirit? Am I living by the, Holy, by the Spirit more than before? So those, when, when we ask ourselves those questions, it's fairly challenging, right? Can I say that? Am I, am I the only one? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. It's fairly challenging when we ask those questions because we want to constantly grow because what God wants us to do is to look within ourselves, test our own actions, and then come to him for, for life, for refreshment. That's why that song, Wellspring, I just love that song because we draw from him. We're not comparing with anyone. We draw from him for our, our revelation. We draw from him for strength, for life, for encouragement. That's what Galatians is trying to tell us. Don't compare ourselves because we have our own load to carry. So verse 6 goes on to say, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the words should share all good things with their instructor. Share all good things. Many different commentaries address this specifically to tithes and offerings, because uh, finance. Finance, if I can say, because hopefully I'm, I'm trying to share from a personal revelation. Finance is something that people in general hold the tightest with the strongest grip to their heart and closest and nearest to themselves. In a way, it's kind of like an idol because in scriptures, it talks about money a lot. If we ever read scriptures, it's, God talks about money a lot. And it is an idol, and that's why God wants us to test our own action. But what, what this verse is trying to say is share all good things from the standpoint, yes, share finance because whoever is, is, um, is study, spending time studying and, and sharing and preaching, they're not able to spend as much time working. But at the same time, all good things from the standpoint, like the revelation that they have received through uh, or, or, or overcome in terms of relationship struggles or... Um, or overcome addictions because of what they've learned in scriptures, because of what they hear on Sunday, or because of worship, or just things that the sins that they have overcome, or just receiving favor from God. So all good things, meaning sharing with each other, being vulnerable, vulnerable, did I say that correctly? Vulnerable, I got to check somebody here. Yes, so can someone give me a nod? Um, and uh, so that's what it's trying to say. The main thing is for us, 
Let's be um, vulnerable with each other, share with each other, open things up to each other, instead of trying to act like we have it all together. Sadly, we don't. Is it okay for me to say that? I don't think we all have it together. We just trust in God and keep going forward. So let's keep going forward, verses 7 and 8. It's a tough crowd today. None of my jokes are landing. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. That was tough. It took me a long time before I was able to keep on going. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. God cannot be mocked. This verse is challenging for me, and I trust it's also challenging for everyone. He's a loving God. I know who he is. I think you all know who he is. He's full of kindness. He's full of gentleness and patience. But he's also just, and he's righteous. And he is God. He knows all things, and he cannot be mocked. So I don't think we need a theologian to understand the phrase, God cannot be mocked. I think it's fairly self-explanatory. Actually, when I say it's a challenging, challenging statement, I trust that it's actually convicting because it's very convicting to me, and I hope it's convicting for all of us because God knows all things, right? He knows what's in our hearts. What we do on a Sunday morning, it may be just for show. What he wants to know is how are we feeling about him? Do we love him? Do we really trust him? This is why Scripture constantly talk about God being concerned with the state of our hearts, not our, so much more than our actions. Right? Proverbs 4 verse 23 said, above all else, above all else, you guys know this, guard your heart. Above everything else, guard your heart. Not guard your mind. It should be, I would be happy if it said guard your mind, but above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it the same thing because God is concerned with our hearts. That's where he what? Put his spirit of his son into our hearts. We know that from Galatians chapter 4. Um, chapter 4 verse 6. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Galatians 4 verse 6. So he's concerned for our hearts. It's more than our action. It's about who we are. He wants our hearts. He wants a relationship with us. And verse 8 is a reminder for us that what we value the most will set the direction for our lives. So if God is the most important thing on our heart, everything that we do, right, everything flows from our heart. All the actions and the decisions that we make will point toward that direction. If it's God, it will point toward God. If it's money, it will point, point, point toward money. If it's for acceptance, everything that we do will point toward getting accepted. If it's regarding status, if our heart prioritizes status, everything that we do will point toward how can we achieve better status, so to speak. So keep that in mind. So hopefully, uh, I don't want to dwell on that too much, but just keep that in mind. And, and, uh, and every time I look at that verse, I just like, oh, oh, I need to re-examine my life. And hopefully that's convicting for all of us. But don't take it heavy, because God means to cheer us up and to refresh us and, and give us revelation so that we can overcome the obstacles and struggles that we have with our life. And when we do that, when we listen to the Holy Spirit, what does it say? From the Spirit you will reap eternal life. Eternal life. Isn't that awesome? 
eternal life. I know it doesn't sound like it. I'm only 48, so I still have like another 80 years to go. But eternal life, eternal life, that's amazing. 80 years is nothing, right? I know I've talked about this. 200 years is nothing when it comes to eternal life. Eternal is like forever. Right? So for me, I'm 48. As you can tell my kids, 12 and a half, 11 and 10. They are like, if I was 12 years, I forgot, I've forgotten more than what I remember. So just put that in perspective. If they, they, they think that I am ancient, actually. It's like, how can you live that? You're 48. So keep that in mind. Eternal life. All right, verse 9. We've we'll we got to keep on going. So let, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't get weary or tired of doing good. What's good? I mean, what's good, right? So good would be the actions of verses 1 through 10, the verses that we're going through right now, restoring our brothers and sisters gently, um, trust in our hearts, follow the law of Christ. And in order to be, to, to be able to do good, so it's not a legalistic thing, but in order to do good, what, we do need, what do we need to do? The Galatians talked about this the whole time. Walk by the Spirit. Live with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So if you can simplify it that way, instead of, I need to do this and this and this, walk by the Spirit. Because if we live by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will flow from us, right? Hopefully, this is common knowledge for most everyone. Love, joy, peace, tolerance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's been coming through, throughout this whole book. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And then we will be able to have joy so then others around us can experience this supernatural joy. It's not just an Instagram page and then you decide to uh, Photoshop it to make it look like you're having a lot of fun. And everything else is awesome in your life. True joy. That, only can, only, that can only come from God. And when we walk by the Spirit, Jesus will be the most important person in our lives. In our lives. I know Vanessa is not here, but we talked about this a lot. We want Jesus to be more important to me than Vanessa is to me. I want Jesus to be more important to her than I am to her. I want Jesus to be more important to me than my kids are to me. Why is that? Because the more I get to know Jesus, the better of a husband I can be. The more I get to know Jesus, the better of a father I can be to my kids. The more that I get to know Jesus, the better I can be of everything. And it's, it's the same for all of us. Get to know Jesus, because if we walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to what? Glorify Jesus. So if we walk by the Spirit, we live by the Spirit, He will glorify Jesus, and we will get to know Jesus. As we get to know Jesus, we will do everything well, whatever situation that we're in. And when we do that, we will naturally carry out the commission from our King, Jesus, when we do those things. So when we live by the Spirit, we will get refreshed, so we will not get weary of doing good because it can get tiring. It can get tiring, right? I think it can get, at least for me, it can get tiring. But let's not be wary of doing good because when the proper time comes, when is that, by the way? I, said, I'm, I have so many questions when I look at these verses and I'm assuming that you guys do too. Maybe you don't. But I always ask myself, when the proper time comes, when is that? Can it be today? I would like for the proper time to be today so I can reap the harvest. Why is it not today? 
But what scripture is saying, let's not worry about it. A proper time will come. Keep doing good. It could be when Jesus comes. It could be next month. It could be next year. It could be 500 years from now. What scripture is saying is, let's not become wary of doing good. For at a proper time, we will reap a harvest. When I was preparing for this message, when I read this verse, I immediately thought of Marie. For those of you who don't know her, she's not here today. She's actually in Atlanta. Marie is 80-something, 85, 86. She usually sits right there. That's why I have the, the padding for her. She's still doing good. That's an example for us. Her life is a testament to this verse right here. So when I get tired or weary, I think of Marie and it's like, man, I need to shape up. She's twice my age. And she's still here every Sunday, worshiping and cheering God on. So I need to get going because something that I truly believe in, and I see that throughout Scripture, is longevity is legacy. Longevity is legacy. And when we have longevity, we're building a legacy. And God wants to use us. I, I, I may be naive when I say this, but I think most people can do most things well for a short period of time. Very few people can do things well over a long period of time. That's why there's a, not everyone has a legacy behind them because it's longevity. And that's what this verse is encouraging us. Do not be wary. God wants us, each and every one of us, to leave a legacy behind us by doing good, trusting in the Holy Spirit, living with a life of faith. And when the time comes, we will reap the harvest. And I look forward to seeing the amazing harvest that we are going to reap. Restoration is going to reap if we keep on going. We will keep on going, not if. We will keep on going. And the last verse for today, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. When we have the opportunity to do good, try to do good to everyone. But the end of the verse, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So that means there's a priority. There's a priority in terms of who we need to be intentional in terms of doing good to, to those who are closest to us, right? Family of believers. We can see that throughout scriptures. God has always entrusted everyone Abraham, Moses, Gideon, David, and down the line with something small at first. And as we have shown that we can be entrusted with the little, the small things, then God will start giving us more and more. So, translate that to this verse. We have been entrusted to do good. We've been command or commissioned to do good to those around us first. And then as we are able to do good with those around us, then God will enlarge our capacity, enlarge our ability so we can do good with more people out there everywhere. A practical uh, example that I want to use is for me, I want to be intentional to do good, firstly, with my personal family. Because if I can't lead my family well, I can't lead anyone else well, right? I can pretend to lead people well, but that... God cannot be mocked. It comes back to that first. So I need to be able to lead my family well, and then I can lead restoration well. 
I can lead restoration well, then when God called me to go somewhere else, I can't speak with integrity about what I can do good for other people. So when I walk out on the street and I see someone, I will know what to do because I have done good with all the people who are closest to me, and they know what I'm supposed to do. Did that make sense to you guys? Yes? Yes? Thank you. Thank you. So just look at it as do good with those who are closest to us, and slowly, slowly start moving out because we want to strategically use our time well, right? We only got 24 hours a day unless someone has more than 24 hours a day. So we want to do good with the people that God has put around us first, especially the family of believers, right? Because Galatians is telling us to do good to all people. However, especially to the family of believers. So keep that in mind. And just like the, 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 the parable of the talent, right? You got a f- few things. As you invest it, as you've done well, then God will give us more. So, um, okay, in conclusion, in conclusion, I'm sorry, I'm st- my mind is still all over the place because we, uh, we're trying to figure out what's going on with the technical difference. You, you guys don't need to know what's going on. Okay. Let's move on. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm in closing, in closing, Galatians took five chapters to explain why we should not comply or submit to the lives that we have before Jesus. Go back to the pressure and the expectation that we have before Jesus. Whether it's society, society rules and norms or religious rules and norms, we should not comply with those um, outward or external requirements that we had to do, right? Dress a certain way, talk a certain way, walk a certain way, live in a certain neighborhood in order to, so that other people can see how righteous or holy we are. We no longer have to or need to live under the pressure or the expectation by making ourselves blend in or or to be accepted or to be respected by our peers according to their standards. Whatever standards that they set up, we don't need to comply to that anymore. We don't need to worry about that. And actually, the first thing is we need to know what what those standards are and realize God, Jesus, has freed us from having to live up to their standards. Let's live up to Jesus' standards. Be free in him. Walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Live with the Spirit. Is that, did I say that correctly? So, so through Jesus, we now belong to the kingdom of God, right? It's an environment where God loves us and accepts us for who we are because he actually has created us to be that way. So be ourselves and be free in Jesus. Not to be free of whatever we want to do, but be free in Jesus. So back in the early church time, Galatians was specifically addressing circumcision. Nowadays, if I can use that example, and it's going to be controversial, so you can feel free to come up and talk to me afterward. Uh, an example that I see, which will be controversial, is, is that I feel, an example that many Christians may feel compelled to do is Ash Wednesday. You guys familiar with Ash Wednesday? So I, I completely understand the intention is to acknowledge that Jesus died for our sins. It's a sign that we have shown our repentance and uh, a mourning for our sins, right? However, we need to ask the question, why do we need to show everyone in public that we participate in a religious ceremony, religious ritual? Why do I need to show everyone about how I'm mourning for my sins by having ash on my forehead or I'm repentance of my sins? 
my sins have already been forgiven, right? Yes? It's already been forgiven. Jesus died on the cross for us for all of our sins. But now, now, he is seated at the right hand of, of, on the throne at the right hand of God. So why am I still grieving and fasting and to do it annually? This is something comparable to what the Galatians were being persuaded to do, right? Circumcision. It's many Christians are being persuaded to, well, Ash Wednesday, we need to go and put a, something on our forehead. What Galatians is telling us to do is what? I, all I need to do is walk in step with the Spirit and live by the Spirit daily. That's all I need to do. And if I can say something about Ash Wednesday, lastly and just as importantly, if not more important, is I don't see Ash Wednesday in the Bible anywhere. I mean, if you find something about Ash Wednesday, please let me know. In fact, there are some small references to sprinkling ourselves with dust and ash when you fast in the Old Testament, which, which means it's a Jewish tradition in the Old Testament. So when Jesus talked about fasting, what did Jesus say about fasting? Avoid making a show when you fast, right? Matthew chapter 6, 16 to 18. So what he said pretty much, I'm paraphrasing here, is wash your face, brush your hair, and look your best when you fast. So Ash Wednesday is just an example of a religious act in the present time that the book of Galatians is trying to address. And I know it could be controversial. I know the meaning, the intention behind it, but why are we doing it still? Why do we feel compelled to do that? I'm not saying we like all of us, but some of us. So that's something to keep in mind because we've been free. We've been set free from all this ritual. All we have to do is believe in Jesus, love him. I want to end by saying that there are 613 commandments in the Mosaic Law. I don't know if you knew that or not. How does someone remember all of them? That's a lot, right? I can't even remember the birthdays of people outside my family. 613 commandments. If you don't know them all, how can you comply with them all? So God simplifies things down by giving us practical examples. Walk by the Spirit, live with the Spirit, so then we can do these things in the first, uh, first 10 verses in Galatians chapter 6. They expand on what we are to do as followers of Jesus, as people who belong in the kingdom of God. So if you don't know what to do, Ask the Holy Spirit and look at the first 10 verses in Galatians chapter 6. And if I can simplify it even further, because I think, I feel like God speaks this to me because I'm very simple and I can't remember a lot of different things. He simplified even further by saying, well, just remember two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I think you guys are familiar with that, I hope. And the second is like it. I think I might have highlights. Oh, is that a slide? I think maybe the last one. So the second is like it. I think it may be the last slide. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. So the way I interpret that is the second is like it is an extension of the first one, right? Love your neighbor as well. So we only need to know love, your, the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with without your soul, without your mind, and love your neighbor. That's pretty much what we need to do. So when we do those things, the next verse, 40, everything else hang on these two commandments. We satisfy all the laws and the commandments and everything else that we're supposed to remember, the, Jew, uh, the Israelites were supposed to remember. So everything that was spoken by the prophets, everything. 
Isn't that easy? Isn't that simple? That's all we need to do. So when we follow these commandments, put that in our heart. Trust God. Live passionately for him. Walk by the Spirit. We will naturally, naturally fulfill the law of Christ. Because I think that's, that's what we're encouraged to do, right? And I think verse 2, fulfill the law of Christ. And carry out the great commission, which is share the gospel. Because when we love someone, love our neighbor as ourselves, they will see the life of Christ that flow through us. And we will help each other, help carry each other's burden, help restore each other gently because there's grace, there's love, instead of condemning them, putting them down, or making them feel guilt and condemnation. So I just feel like these 10 verses in Galatians chapter 6 gave us a handbook of the instruction on who we are to do. Just like what I, the example that I used earlier, now I know how to use fork and knives when I eat dinner instead of looking for chopsticks or using my hands. So he's giving us very simple instruction. Follow those instructions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor. Amen.